we were, it was nighttime, we were in the woods. Um, there was like a circle of people around this rock altar. And there was this tall, skinny man laying on his back. And his, I remember his legs went off the altar. It, he was so tall. And, um, and this man in a robe walked up and very carefully put a knife. If you find that porn is stealing your time, draining your energy, ruining relationships, and robbing you of your power, it's time to take your power back. Eric Zuzak tried 12-step programs and felt powerless when they didn't work. He then discovered the power of mindfulness in combating addictions. Porn Talk is about reclaiming your power to end your porn addiction. It's how Eric transformed from powerless Eric to powerful Eric. Ready to break your porn addiction? Learn from Eric, the powerful Eric. Here's your host, Eric Zuzak. Welcome to Porn Talk. This is Powerful Eric. This show is not just about breaking addictions. It's about breaking belief systems. We are bound by self-imposed and societal chains. Break those rusty, nasty old chains and get empowered right now. I have a warning before I proceed. If you are squeamish, scare easily, or easily offended, this is not the podcast for you. Our guest today will share some graphic things that happened to her and things she witnessed. So consider yourself warned. Today we have a real survivor, a rebel, a hero, Rebecca Baines. She was raised in a satanic cult. She witnessed unspeakable acts that were done to her and others. She developed PTSD as a result of these traumas. She was frustrated with traditional healing methods, so she searched for a faster, gentler, and more complete permanent method of transforming her own physical and emotional trauma. After much searching and trial and error, eventually she discovered a faster path to deep and profound healing and now shares this gift with others. She is also influenced by her Native American heritage from Alaska, which gives her a sense of the human as a whole being existing in a connected and cohesive universe. Rebecca has a deep faith that we can recover from anything, no matter what our current circumstances are or what we have been through. Help me welcome a true survivor and a brave soul Rebecca Baines. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Eric. First of all, I want to say how grateful I am for you in my life that you're someone that over the months we've known each other, I have come to feel very safe with. And um, that means a lot to someone like me. And so it makes it possible for me to sit here with you. And um, eventually this will go to your audience and be able to, to share my intention is to share fully and openly, and then, of course, you can edit out anything you want to, but um, yeah, I didn't originally know that there was such a thing as repressed memories, so when my father went to prison the first time for molesting his stepdaughter, I was in a position where I, I, I didn't have a job, I didn't have a place to live, I had just broken up with my um, boyfriend who was psychologically abusive. <clears throat> and so I had to just push it aside and not, not even deal with my feelings about that. 
because growing up, I was daddy's little girl. I mean, that was just literally what everyone called me because my dad and I were very close and I felt like he was the um, only consistent source of love in my childhood. So I grew up and went off to college and I said, the only good thing about my childhood was my dad. So when I found out that he was going to jail for molesting his stepdaughter, that was beyond upsetting. So, and then people would ask me, you know, so did anything happen to you? And, and that was primarily because articles were coming out at that time about incest and childhood sexual abuse. And there were lists of symptoms, which like it could have just said, this is Rebecca Baines, this is her qualities, you know? And so then he went to prison a second time. And at that time I was in medical school and- uh, And you went to prison again for sexually molesting a minor. Got, he got caught again with the same stepdaughter. And um, I just went into a tailspin. I, I became so depressed that I was dancing on the edge of suicide a lot. And just to be clear, the minor, she was like, start, it started like seven years old to like 12 years old? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So it sent you into a tailspin. Um, yeah, so dad went to prison and this was about halfway through my first year of medical school. And I just, I went into, um, it was so bad that there was a part of my mind that went like, what's wrong with this picture? Like he ruins his life and now I'm wanting to kill myself. Like that doesn't add up. Yeah, that doesn't and, make sense. And, and then I came on a Oprah Winfrey show. I came across the information that there was such a thing as repressed memories. So if the trauma was severe enough or if it went on long enough, the mind would just block it and you're caught, you would consciously not even know. And when I saw that information, I, next thing I knew, I was just on my knees in front of the TV, just sobbing. And that made no sense to me. So yeah, that I, doesn't make <laughs> like, why does that information make me like completely lose it yeah. and, and cry and cry and cry. So I got up and just finished studying. I just went back to my books and, um, and then there were some other weird things that happened that just didn't make sense. You know, one was I went to cadaver lab one day and um, that's where you were we were a nursing student, medical student, medical student. Okay. Yeah. I was going to be a doctor. And so my team and I were working on our cadaver and we were trying to get the skin off the palm of the hand so we could study all the structures underneath. And it was really difficult because that skin just kept breaking and breaking and it was just everyone took turns and got really frustrated. So I went at the end of cadaver lab, I just said, you know, why don't you guys just go home? I'm just going to stay here and work on it. So I'm sitting in a room with like 30 dead bodies and just me. And I just sat there and I worked on it and worked on it. And then I eventually went home and everything seemed perfectly normal. And then I walked through my, the front door of my apartment. And before the door even slammed shut behind me, I was face down on the carpet. I mean, just flat out, face down, sobbing and sobbing and sobbing until I couldn't cry anymore. And that also made no sense to me. Mm. So I just like, okay, that's weird. And I just got up and made dinner and went on with my life. So, but it wasn't very long. It was just a matter of months later that I had my first memory of my dad sexually abusing me. And 
I just didn't think anything could be worse than that because um, I thought he was my only safe place. Mm -hmm. You know, he loved me. We were so close. And, um, and so that was really devastating, but right on the heels of that, I started having these really weird symptoms, um, flashbacks, nightmares, and none of that made any sense to me, but it was really gruesome, right? I was seeing like really gruesome things. And I was, I was talking to my brother and his um, soon-to-be mother-in-law was there and she overheard the conversation and she told him later, she goes, you know, that stuff Rebecca was talking about sounds an awful lot like satanic ritual abuse. And he called and told me that. And we both burst out laughing. You know, I'd never heard of satanic ritual abuse, first of all. I mean, it's kind of descriptive, right? But um, our dad was a, a, a minister. And so as it was, we just kind of thought like, how could it get any worse? You know, dad's a minister. Now he's in prison for molesting his stepdaughter. He turns out to be a pedophile. I'm like, you know, and our whole childhood, we were, we were told this story about what a perfect family we were. You know, my dad would come home and say, oh, they said you guys, you know, we're the perfect family, you know, yeah. you know, for you know well. My, my dad, my dad used to say a long time ago, like when you look at another family, or person, they seem like so wonderful and perfect. And maybe they are, maybe they are. But he says, you don't know what goes on behind those doors. <laughs> you don't know what goes on behind those doors. So anyway, go ahead. Truer words were never spoken. Yeah. So, so as it was, we thought like, that's as bad as it's going to get. Right. And then she says that and we laughed and but the nightmares continued and then started coming flashbacks and then body memories, which is basically feeling the violations, feeling the physical um, torture and, and whatnot. Um, and, and usually like my repressed memories would come back in pieces. So I maybe, I maybe would hear um, an event and not see anything and not feel anything. And I don't mean just physically not feeling anything, but emotionally having like flat affect, you know, I'm hearing these terrible things or, or it would come back with just a split second visual or, <clears throat> and, and usually the last component of a, a flashback to, to return to me would be the emotion of it, which would sometimes come back weeks or even months later. So I would be describing what I was seeing and it was just horrific. And then I would just have no emotion, you know, people are like, whoa. So, um, so I was having these flashbacks and, um, and nightmares and just, I mean, beyond terrified, I don't, it's, it's physically painful when you have a horrific flashback and, 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 and the body just like all this adrenaline pours out. And, and I said, it felt like my, all my nerve endings were on the outside of my skin, you know? So like, even like one time I was dating a guy and he came out and I had had a, a horrible nightmare and I was trying to write about it, record it. And he came up and he just put his hand on my arm and I jumped so hard because it was like painful. It was absolutely physically painful to be touched. Hmm. So <clears throat> eventually I decided, well, I better look into this weird 
thing that she said, you know, satanic ritual abuse. So I, I went to this bookstore and there was a little section. I think there were three books on it. And the label was wider than the number of books sitting there. And it said satanic ritual abuse. So I walked up and I went to reach for one of the books to pull it off the shelf. And I started to black out. And um, I've never fainted in my life. So I stopped and I, I took a step back and my vision became clear again. So I stepped forward and I reached for the book. And again, I started to black out and a third time that happened. And so at that point, I was kind of aware that I had like different parts to myself. Now I know it's called dissociative identity disorder. Mm -hmm. Back then it was called multiple personalities. So I, I said to that part of myself, I said, you can make me black out cold on the floor. And when I wake up, I will crawl to that shelf and get that damn book. So you can just knock it off. <laughs> and it stopped. So, and I knew that part of me was trying to protect me, but I needed to know, you know, and at that point I was really skeptical. I, I couldn't imagine that that was what I had been through. You know, I, it's, it's amazing that there, there even was a, there's a section, there was even a section. It wasn't just, you know, a book. I mean, it was a couple books that had a section on satanic ritual abuse. Wow. Yep. Well, it was a very progressive, it was like this, like women's bookstore and it had all sorts of feminist stuff and whatnot, you know, kind of a, a rebellious couple of women that, that owned the bookstore. So um, I'm not even sure why I knew that I could go there and, and, and look for that. Cause I don't think a normal bookstore in, back then would have, would have had a section like that, but so did um, you make your way to the book. Did you get the book? I bought the book. Um, I think I might've bought, I don't remember how many I bought, but at least one. But the most horrifying thing about that whole experience was I opened it up and it was like signs and symptoms that you experience satanic ritual abuse. And I had 100% of those signs and symptoms. And some of them were so weird that, you know, like I would never have even talked to anyone about those symptoms, certain fears and phobias and stuff like that. It was, you know, I, I've, I've actually had people say to me, well, you know, no, I don't believe that stuff goes on. And, you know, maybe you just like have an active imagination and you've seen too many horror films. I said, I've never seen a horror film in my life. I can't even listen to an advertisement about a Halloween, like a, whatever those houses are, you know, haunted house kind of thing. I can't even listen to that on the radio. Mm -hmm. I remember one year that they had something like that on and they had this spooky ad and I, I literally couldn't wait to find the off button on the radio, like a boom box. I flew across the room and landed on my stomach and yanked the cord out of the wall because I could not listen to anything like that. It was so no, never seen a horror film. Um, the other thing I've heard is that, um, oh, this is just a, a, a result of unscrupulous therapists who are feeding this information to weak-minded um, clients, patients. It's absurd. Well, <laughs> That's absurd. Yeah, yeah, as if you could, right? Like, could they force me to have nightmares about people being killed? Could they force me to have nightmares about rituals being done in the woods at night? No. And even if um, they could, why, you know, that's, that's silly. There's, yeah, there's no... 
first of all, there's no motivation to do that. I know people have said to me, well, they make more money if they convince you that happened to you. But that was called, it was like the early 90s, and it was called satanic panic. And it was people trying yeah. to, yeah, trying. The satanic to, panic is the late 80s, early 90s, uh, goth teenagers and things like that. Or yeah, go, tell, tell us. Tell us a little more about that, if you would. The well, panic. from my perspective, having grown up within that culture, um, it's all based on and exists due to the secrecy. And so anyone involved in it would be very quick to try to discredit people talking about it. Because first of all, that's not allowed. What I, what I uncovered was layers and layers of programming because satanic cults are very um, adept at knowing how to train the mind for their purposes. Yeah. So they deliberately, like they do torture and other techniques to fracture the, the psyche so that they have separate personalities and they have some of them be loyal to the cult. So they're trained and then other ones are trained to do other things. And, you know, for the females, there's usually um, the task of being used for sexual abuse and pornography, which I'm pretty certain that I was, I, I, I know I was used um, sexually, but I think that um, I have reason to believe that I was also um, used in pornography, which of course then they sell and they make money. Um, <clears throat> And um, talking about the, the satanic panic, you know, I was talking, we had this conversation the other day, I was telling a friend that I was going to have you on the show. And about I was telling him some of your experiences. And he's a very open minded guy. But he pretty much shot down the whole thing. He brought up the satanic panic. He said, well, there was the satanic panic in the 80s and 90s. And that was that was investigated and that was found that was all just a bunch of made up stories. And so he basically said he, he doesn't believe that this happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know that a lot of people feel that way. Um, and I would say, trust me, no one would want to say this happened to them. <laughs> um, when, I had my first memories and I realized what it was. I had one girlfriend from my, she was in my class with me in medical school and I had a boyfriend, a pretty pathetic boyfriend, but a boyfriend. And um, when I first told her what I was remembering, um, she never took my, received my calls again. The boyfriend became so ugly and abusive about what I was sharing with him that I had to break up with him. And then I had nobody in my life. Yeah. Absolutely nobody. I couldn't tell my family. I didn't know if, who was possibly still involved in it that would tell the cult. Like if I told them, they would tell the cult and they would kill me. Yeah. So, so that's part of the programming I found was like, first of all, if you remember, you will die, which I was programmed to commit suicide. So danced on the edge of that many, many times. Um, if you remember, you'll go insane, kind of experience that hallucinations and just crazy, got past that. If you remember, we will kill you. If 
you ever tell anyone, we will kill you. And, and I had had memories come back of them actually telling me when I was a small child that, you know, hey, this guy, he broke the rules and um, we're going to take him out. Yeah. Tell that story if you, if you would. Yeah. And I didn't know what that meant. Right. I, I'm thinking, take him, from, out. take him out. Yeah. They said, we're going to take him out. And so we were like in a shed of some kind, me and these two men, and they were all dressed in black with the ski masks and everything. And they had this high, um, they both had high powered rifles with the scope on it. And the one guy picked me up and had me look through the scope and he goes, see that guy over there. And like at a distance there was, and it had to have been a rural area because there were no street lights or anything. There was this guy walking around inside his house with the lights on, you know, it was nighttime. And um, they go, see that guy? And I go, yeah. And they go, well, he broke the rules and we're going to take him out. <clears throat> in, I think they even said like in 20 minutes. And then the 20 minutes passed. And then they both put their rifles. There was like a, like, a, a, like a window kind of thing in the door to the shed. And it was, it was open. I don't know. It was, anyway, they put their rifles through that. And they go, pop, pop. And then you know, the guy dropped and, um, and that was, that's the end of the memory. But, um, why, why would they want you to witness that? To make sure I knew when they said to me, don't ever tell, don't do this, don't do that. Um, do this, do that to know that if I didn't obey them and the rules of the cult, that I would also be taken out, Yeah, you know, and, and, um, so when I first remembered, somehow or another, I came across this other woman who'd been through the same thing. And she was in a um, abnormal psychology class at the local community college. And her professor, because of one of the papers she'd written, knew about her background. And she asked her if she would speak to the class. And she said she uh, couldn't do that, but she had a friend that might be willing. So I went and spoke to the class because at that point, the part of the programming that was really crystal clear to me was if you ever tell anyone, we will kill you. So I went and told my story to about 30 some students and went home and collapsed. And then for three days, I couldn't walk past a window like that man did that got shot. Um, I crawled on my hands and knees past any windows because I was partially thinking that someone was going to come and kill me for doing that. Yeah. Because um, they, I mean, when you're a little kid, it feels like they're omnipotent, you know, like they see all, they know all, and they try to make you think that. So, you know, me now as an adult starting to share my story, you know, it's been incredibly difficult, scary, um, but I know it's really important to tell. What was the reaction when you gave the presentation at school? You know, most of the kids were um, polite and open. There was this one guy at the back and initially he just, he just sat sideways, right? Like he, he wouldn't even look straight on he, and he was like this, you know, like making faces and snorting and rolling his eyes. And, but by the end, he had turned his chair forward and he was leaning forward and just like staring at, you know, he was just. He completely, completely changed his mind. And, and I, I think it's perhaps because 
there's no other explanation for why um, I've had the memories I've had, I've had the experiences I've had, the order in which it all happened, because um, like I said, you know, never went to a therapist that suggested such things. You know, I, I had been in and out of therapy. I mean, for good reasons, right? Like I, I was. Well, like, and let's, let's, let's hear some of the, re those reasons. So to, like, this is not just sexual abuse. This is not even just watching this guy being taken out. You, can you tell them about the ritual that you saw in the, out in the woods? Yeah. Um, I think the first memory of a ritual was, um, and it looked like I was looking at it through underwater and it wasn't until later I realized like my vision was blurry because I was drugged, but, um, and I could tell by the angle of my view, like I must've been maybe again, like three or four years old. And the, and, drugs, and the drugs actually is a really very common thing with the satanic ritual abuse. There's a yeah. lot of high powered medication given to people to do things or to, to the victims. But anyway, yes, uh, it's about control and controlling the memories, right? Because we were programmed to never ever consciously remember, um, but I did. Um, and partly because I have, um, there's a strange thing about me that some Native Americans have, which is um, from all evidence, I would say I have this extra enzyme in my liver, which some Native Americans do, which makes me very um, resistant to any kind of drugs or alcohol. Like mm. I can, my tolerance is extremely high, even if I've, you know, even when I was 16 and had never had any kind mm. of sedative or in medication or drugs or anything, um, they couldn't put me under for surgery. <laughs> I was having my foot operated on and yeah, they never could put me all the way under. And it was supposed to be, um, they called it twilight, you know, but the doctor said to me, I was 116 pounds at the time. And he goes, I'm so sorry, honey. Cause I kept waking up and he was holding my hand and I was crying. It hurt really bad. And he goes, I've given you enough of this medication to knock out a 240 pound man. And you're still talking to me <laughs> by law. I I'm sorry. I can't give you any more. And I was like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you know, so, his hand. so these drugs that they gave you to make you forget things, uh, obviously you, obviously you didn't because of your, your tolerance that you have your genetic tolerance. The, the trauma is what made it be repressed. Sure. Um, partially the drugging, but the trauma, um, being so, so my sister called me up one day and she said, yeah, that's right. Things can be repressed. But the thing is, they say it's, um, severe long-term trauma. Cause at that point I was hoping that like, oh, it was just one time, you know, I experienced something like this and she's like, no, it's severe ongoing trauma that makes you, um, block it out. <clears throat> so in this first memory I had, it was very brief, but we were, it was nighttime. We were in the woods. Um, there was like a circle of people around this rock altar. And there was this tall, skinny man laying on his back. And his, I remember his legs went off the altar. It, he was so tall. And, um, and this man in a robe walked up and 
very carefully put a knife right at the tip of his sternum and then just went and sliced down to the uh, top of his pubic bone and his body like it just it opened and all these organs like it, it like flowered out of the body cavity and um and then that that's all i saw right at that point Pe memories came back in pieces but i had no way of knowing that that's what happens when you do that um but that's what i saw yeah. and i could tell by the way i was looking up at everybody that i was you know just a little little kid um so that was the first one and then came a lot of others and then the nightmares were horrible you're talking about not to be super graphic but like i've i've never seen an animal like slit and all the the innards come out i wouldn't same thing like i wouldn't know that from a human being they kind of flower out like that i mean that's a really super detailed memory that even if i mean heck i don't i have seen some horror movies and i've never seen anything like that i mean that's so yeah that's just one example of what um i saw and then um there was one night that that pathetic boyfriend i mentioned he um we had broken up, I think, but I was at his apartment for some reason, and we were on the fold-out sofa, sofa bed, and I was having a really rough night, so I think that's why I was there. I just didn't want to be alone, but then he tried to sexually assault me, and it freaked me out so bad that I just, like, dissociated, and, um, and, and then he fell asleep, and all night long, I felt myself being raped and I was um, strapped to this board. And, um, you know, like those boards that medics use and yeah, has, like, handles on it. Yeah, to lift so this it. Was, this was a child size one and I was strapped to it and I had like a rope around my neck and then the rest of it. And then um, the men were passing me around and each one of them took turns raping me and I felt every single bit of it physically i just laid there and i felt the whole thing and then the next morning i was telling him about it and um i went in the bathroom and there was a bruise on my neck right where i had felt the rope um and so that that's what i mean by body memories um and that yeah wow the the sexual abuse of children through through um, sex trafficking is very real. And like I said earlier, then discover that it can go to this bottom of satanic ritual abuse. Um, how does this relate to porn? Because pornography feeds this darkness and... Uh, also, like you said, you thought that you were filmed, that you were filmed. And so there could be somewhere out there pornographic films that were, were made of you. Mm -hmm. And, but the good news is, though, right, is that you did finally um, get to some recovery. And on the, the next episode, we'll talk about some of the recovery methods that you used 
And Can I just say too, and the reason I share my story is one, I want people to know that this stuff does happen. It's mm -hmm. been happening and it does happen. Number two, I want people, if they have someone in their life that comes forward and says that they have been through this, I want them to believe them, yeah. you know, because it's really painful to have these memories and then even more painful to have those dismissed and discounted. Well, Rebecca, we've ran out of time today, but we'll have Rebecca back next week. And in the meantime, if you want to reach out to Rebecca about her advanced theta healing, her trauma recovery technique, just reach out to her at standingbearhealing.com. That's standing bear like the animal healing.com. That's standingbearhealing.com for Rebecca's unique recovery method. And be sure to join us next week when Rebecca proves that a human being can come back from just about anything. Are you struggling with porn addiction? Then schedule a free strategy call with Eric today at PowerfulEric.com or call 314-717-0377.